is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the More Than Child's Play podcast. I'm your guest for this evening, Nicole Surgent. Thank you so much for coming back to join us for a great conversation. I'm happy to welcome a a special person in my life. Her name is Patrice Guzman. She is a seasoned, results-focused, creative, and versatile professional with more than 15 years of experience in the nonprofit industry. Patrice's experience spans numerous channels across the nonprofit sector, and and her demonstrated accomplishments include extensive success with fundraising, grant management, volunteer management, program development, advocacy, operations, and event production and management. She received her undergraduate degree from Johnson and Wales University in Miami, Florida, and her master's of business administration and marketing from Strayer University. She is a self-proclaimed lifelong learner, and she currently resides in Charlestown, West Virginia with her husband, Christian, her amazing daughter, Vivian, and her puppy, Nina. Patrice now enjoys the best jobs in the world as mom. And that's where we're going to focus our conversation today. In full disclosure, the way that I know Patrice is I am her daughter, Vivian's early intervention physical therapist. Through our time together, I've learned so much about Patrice and her family and Vivian and their extensive stay in the NICU, which is why I invited her um, to join our conversation today. And I'm so grateful she said yes. They have a unique story um, that is all their own, but also we know that thousands and thousands of babies a year spend time in the NICU and their parents do as well. And Patrice has a very mindful um, and very genuine response to her time there. And together we decided that sharing her story with other parents would be helpful, which is why we are bringing this conversation to you today. So Patrice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here. I also just want to add that um, in full disclosure, she's given me permission to share that her daughter is my patient, but any details about Vivian's medical history will be shared by Patrice. I won't be sharing anything. Um, It'll be up to her mom to do the sharing today. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to parenthood? What was that like for you? Oh, (laughs) Um, so in my early twenties, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome, um, also known as PCOS. And it's basically a hormonal disorder that's very common among women, um, but within the reproductive age. Uh, so with this diagnosis, I was aware that becoming a parent would not be easy. Um, I did become pregnant in 2013 And again, in 2014, suffering miscarriages at six weeks and 13 weeks. Um, At that time, I accepted the fact that I may never become a parent, but 
my husband and I decided not to utilize any precautions and whatever was going to happen was going to (laughs) happen. So um, in June of 2019, we learned that we were once again pregnant. And although we were very excited, we were cautiously optimistic. So um, that was kind of my journey into parenthood. Um, Very grateful that this pregnancy lasted as long as it did. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that would have been so hard after those losses and brave to try again. So tell us a little bit about the pregnancy and your delivery story. Uh, So when I learned I was expecting, I immediately made my appointment to see my OBGYN. Um, I felt just really off and knowing my previous experience with pregnancy, I was concerned that something just wasn't right. Um, So actually the night prior to my appointment, I started experiencing really heavy bleeding and I feared the absolute worst. Um, So during the appointment, I went through all the details with the doctor. She immediately sent me back to ultrasound And it was at that moment that my life truly changed forever. Um, I learned that I was 10 weeks along and that there was not one, but three (laughs) babies in my belly. Um, So as one can probably imagine, I was shocked beyond belief. (laughs) Um, It was natural, spontaneous triplets. So it, it really took me a few minutes to really process what they were telling me while I was in there. Um, So the tech proceeded to allow me to hear their little heartbeats. So baby A was first and it was nice and strong. Uh, Baby B was nice and strong, but unfortunately um, baby C did not have a heartbeat. Um, So at that moment, my emotions just went from being like shocked and excited to like, sadness. I mean, I was just all over the place. Um, So being that I was 35 years old at the time, I, and my history of miscarriage and numerous large fibroids that had developed, um, my pregnancy was classified as high risk. Um, So I did see a high risk specialist along with my OBGYN throughout the pregnancy. And I was meeting with at least one of them once a week. Um, So I did get a lot of pictures, (laughs) which was a a perk, um, I guess, of of the high-risk pregnancy. Um, So overall, the pregnancy went really well. I did have a lot of like morning sickness throughout, but other than that, things were going pretty well up until week 20 uh, with the two remaining babies. Um, I will say it was difficult going to the doctor each week and seeing baby C deteriorating. Uh, They call it vanishing baby. Um, But I had to keep pushing forward for my other two nuggets. So during the 20-week appointment, my high-risk specialist informed me that the babies were fine, but my cervix was getting short. So they placed an emergency pessary and started me on progesterone. So at 21 weeks, I had a follow-up with the high-risk specialist, and I learned that at that time, I had dilated to one centimeter, and that my cervix was incompetent. 
Um, so during this time, all my fears just kind of set in. Um, I was placed on bed rest, given steroids to help with the baby's lung development. Um, our plan was just to monitor me and the babies um, up until I would deliver. Um, I was hoping that I would be there for a long time <laughs> waiting, but uh, at 24 weeks and one day at around 10 p.m., I started experiencing just severe back pain. So I contacted the nurse and the doctor. They immediately started me on medication to try to stop the contractions. Um, and then they checked to see if I had dilated any further. So at that time, I was still one centimeter. Um, about two hours later, um, the pain just became unbearable and the doctor checked my cervix again and I dilated six centimeters. So at that point they decided I had to deliver via emergency C-section. So at 2.51 a.m. Max Alexander was born weighing one pound three ounces at a, and 11.5 inches long. Um, I heard him cry. They showed him to me before they rushed him back to the NICU. At 2.53 a.m., Vivian Elise showed, um, was born weighing one pound, one ounce, and 11 inches long, um, but they just rushed her away. So I kept asking, you know, where's my other baby, but they wouldn't tell me anything. So once I was in recovery, uh, my husband was finally um, allowed to go and see both of them around 7 a.m., and then at that time, the doctors came in and told us that our baby boy was fine, but they had some complications with Vivian. Um, her lungs had basically collapsed and they had to resuscitate her. But at that particular moment, she was stable. So uh, before I was taken back to my hospital room, they did wheel me down to the NICU and allow me to just peek through and see both of them for just a moment. Um, so at that particular time, our journey as NICU parents began. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Max is one of my favorite names. We had a boy. He was going to be Max. <laughs> I never knew that about your story until now. So I got a little goosebumpy over here. Um, can you, that, that's a very brave story to tell. And, and I am thankful that you're willing to do it. Um, so how, from that point on, how long were you in the NICU about? So we were, so Vivian actually was, had, uh, was at two different hospitals. So we were in the NICU for seven months. Um, and then we were transferred to a pediatric rehabilitation hospital and we were there for two and a half months. So it was nine and a half months total in the hospital. Wow. And so tell us about that NICU experience. I know it was long. I know there were a lot of heartbreaking and, and hard, hard moments. Um, what, what can you say about that? What was that NICU experience like? Um, the NICU journey is one that no parent should ever have to experience. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to prepare yourself for that type of journey. Um, so our journey in the NICU started with the doctors sitting down with my husband and I when the babies were about 10 hours old and them telling us that they were not sure that Vivian was going to survive. Um, 
they wanted to give her a steroid to help her lungs develop further. Um, they warned us that if the medication did not work, there would be very little chance that she would live. Um, so we said, please, yes, do whatever you have to do, give her whatever she needs. Um, they said that they would know in 24 hours if the medication worked. So for 24 hours, we just prayed. <laughs> um, the next day we learned that the medication was working. Uh, but then we were called in by the doctors because Max had suddenly started to decline. And I will say this, I noticed earlier that day that there were just a number of doctors in and out of Max's room. And so I asked what's going on, but they told me not to worry. It's okay. And then all of a sudden they're rushing us and to his room and they sit us down and tell us that Max was suffering from a pulmonary embolism. And any course of treatment would lead to him suffering. And so we had to make a decision to try to treat it and cause him more pain than he was already in or say goodbye. So, um, so 38 hours after their birth, I held Max in my arms. I hugged him. I kissed him. I told him I loved him. And he held my finger in his tiny little hand and gave it a big squeeze as he took his final breath. So, um, it was by far the absolute worst day of my life. But I had to pull it together. I had a tiny little warrior just right across the hall that was fighting for her life and she needed me. So her journey became my focus. <laughs> so with Vivian's nine and a half month stay in the hospital, it was filled with many, many, <laughs> yeah, many <laughs> obstacles. Um, <clears throat> she suffered from a neck diagnosis, that required major surgery at 10 days old. She was only one pound, five ounces. They wouldn't even give us a percentage of a chance of what she had to survive that, but she pulled through. Um, she was diagnosed with grade one and two bilateral brain bleeds. She was had a rope diagnosis, which is a premature um, disorder that occurs in the eyes of uh, little preemie babies. She had episodes with sepsis. Her PDA wasn't closing. It didn't close until she was almost 10 weeks old. She suffered from pulmonary hypertension, chronic lung disease, fractured bones, um, had two, had an additional major surgery um, on her abdomen. She received over 90 blood and platelet transfusions. Um, there were just so many ups and downs, but I lived every day for every small victory. Like that's all you can do. Every ounce gained, every drug weaned, like every small victory. Um, they told me on more than one occasion that she was the sickest baby in the NICU. And they also told me on more than one occasion that she probably wasn't going to make it, but I was by her side every day and watching her resilience um, 
letting her know that we were there. We believed in her, begging her to keep fighting. Um, it, it really, just watching her resilience just helped us push through each day. So at about three months in, she started to make some progress. And we're like, okay, this is, this is, so we're starting to see a little bit of a turn here. Um, very close to her expected age. The expected due date. Yes. Very close. Um, she was healing from the initial surgery. They were finally able to take her off of the ventilator and put her on CPAP. Um, and she responded so amazing to that because those earlier blood gases had us all like, oh my gosh, is she going to need a trach? Is she going to? So, um, and also around the three month mark is when I was able to really start holding her um, up until that point, I had only held her two times. So <laughs> I was like, I finally get my hands on you. <laughs> it was amazing. And I was definitely involved like in all of her cares. I was involved in all of the rounds. I was involved in um, she, all of her wound care. Like I just told the nurses, just let me do it. <laughs> um, so I just wanted her to know like I was there, I was her caregiver and you know, she would be protected. So um, finally, she was able to have her ostomy surgery, which was huge. Um, I will say that they did start some early interventions. She was very limited in what she could do in terms of mobility because of all of her abdominal uh, injuries, but they would do some stretches. They would work on building her neck strength and we were able to do some kangaroo care. So I think that that was very beneficial early on. Um, and so when she had her surgery, uh, we were transferred to Mount Washington, um, where we would go on to work on feedings. Um, she did have a G2 placed uh, prior to leaving, but she was also taken off oxygen, which was like major because we were certain we were coming home on oxygen. Um, and then August, 14th of 2020 we were able to take her home <laughs> what a day that must have been it right great it was just like is this really happening <laughs> I can't believe it she's coming home <laughs> amazing I had basically moved to Baltimore so um, I think I missed a total of 30 days the whole nine and a half months she was in the hospital wow and so it was interesting for me to like be at home <laughs> and now with the baby, but, yeah. but it was definitely a very happy day. So that's amazing. You had a lot of medical services. You had a lot of trauma. Um, you had a lot of ups and downs and I'm just curious, you know, I, one, our podcast reaches a lot of medical professionals as well mm -hmm. as parents. And so one thing that I always try to ask when we have a parent on, because I feel like we as medical professionals can always learn, 
What did you appreciate from the medical staff or the NICU experience? Like what was helpful to you and what do you really wish could have been different or would have made your story easier? Um, so I truly appreciated, especially at Johns Hopkins, um, when the staff valued my input and my opinion regarding her care. I would always tell them when they were like approaching me with something new or if a new doctor was coming on rounds or a new nurse practitioner was coming on rounds. Like, I understand that this is your job. You're the professional, you have your degrees, but I have a PhD in Vivian. So, (laughs) um, so it was always really important to me that she was looked at as a person and not just a patient. And they did a really good job doing that um, in the NICU, the nursing staff and the doctors, they are family now. <laughs> like they all still very much are involved in reaching out and checking on her and making, making sure that she progresses. So um, they weren't just practitioners, they, they were family. So I really appreciated that. Um, quite a bit. What I wish could have been done differently actually occurred when we were transferred out of the NICU at the other hospital um, because they definitely went into me anyway with the mentality that we know it all. And I'm like, she's just now coming into your care. You don't know her at all. So they were very much we don't think she's capable of doing this. We don't think she can do that. And I was like, but I know her and I know that she can do that. So um, I just didn't feel, I I felt like in that environment, she was just another patient filling a bed and they wanted to do whatever they can just to like get her out. So, um, so I didn't really appreciate that. They also didn't really have like the rounds and the things that really would engage the parents to know, like, what's your plan of care for my child? Um, So they were a little difficult to deal with (laughs) in a lot of ways. So I was just happy when we were able to get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's cool though. Um, I'm hoping that this conversation gets to a lot of parents who might be sitting in the NICU or know that maybe they're carrying a baby who will likely end up in the NICU. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, you've, you know, it hasn't been that long, but you've had some time being home. And when you look back, what do you think got you through those tough times? I know you said there's no way you could prepare for it. And, and I would probably agree with you, but what do you think saved you then? Like what, what helped you get through all that? Um, and when you're sitting there, like in the moment, you will feel like moments of defeat and guilt and sadness and anger, but believe it or not, there are happy times too. And so, um, just appreciate the small victories, appreciate those happy times. Um, something that really helps me was getting to know the nurses and doctors that were caring for Vivian and building a relationship with them and also being actively involved in her care. Like her nurses loved when I came in and I would sit there for like 12 hours and they didn't have to change one diaper. (laughs) I was like, no, I got this. (laughs) Yeah. I could like do it all. Like I 
could be a NICU nurse now, but um, that you could, from what I've seen, I would have <laughs> um, but getting to know them and, you know, they were just so kind. They would always tell me we're the most expensive babysitters that you will ever have. So after sitting there for months and months and months, they kind of forced me like, go see a movie, <laughs> you know, like go just do something. Um, for yourself so I and definitely faith a lot of faith (laughs) just praying is is what got me through emotionally um Mm -hmm. I will say like three things that you do need in the NICU is a warm blanket headphones and a comfortable pillow (laughs) well that's good practical advice (laughs) Those are a necessity. Um, You definitely need the headphones because there's a lot of background noise and it will stick with you. So anything you can do to drown that out. I've talked to parents before who have had NICU babies and years later, they've gone, I mean, 10 years later, they've gone to visit a friend whose kid broke their arm in the hospital, not even anything super intense or tragic. And the smell of the antiseptic or the beeping of the machine will cause them to vomit or just that like internal traumatic response to those sights and smells can be very triggering for parents. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they can. That's good advice. Um, What was it like to come home? What was that transition like? I know you're excited. Were you scared? Like, how did you prepare to come home and take care of her all on your own? Um, well, I had been doing a lot of her care anyway, so I felt like, you know, I, I felt comfortable, you know, changing her, giving her a bath, getting her dressed, doing, I mean, I even knew how to work the oxygen. So if we needed to bring that home, it was there too. Um, so I think having nine and a half months in the hospital gave me an opportunity to really learn how to parent her with all of her special needs. Like I knew I wasn't bringing home just like a normal little bouncing baby. Like there was a lot of extras, but I I definitely think the time spent in the hospital prepared me for that quite a bit. Like I paid attention. I asked a lot of questions. I did a lot of research. Um, I will say delivering so early, I had like nothing (laughs) at all. Um, but I have amazing friends. And so they changed all of that. And I did come home for a week to like set up her nursery and make sure. Um, but I, I do feel a little sad. Sometimes I didn't have that like normal nesting phase to really like get things the way that I wanted them to be. But I think she was happier. She was like, I'm busting out of here. Like Vivian was like so happy her first car ride. She didn't like make a peep she didn't cry at all she's just like taking it all in so um definitely the best day ever but I I will say just being very hands-on while in the hospital will definitely be beneficial when you take your child home that's good advice she knew she was coming home (laughs) (laughs) so your family's receiving early intervention right now from many specialists you have (laughs) Let's review. You have PT, you have OT, Mm -hmm. you have a developmental specialist, you have a dietitian, yes, you have a service coordinator, and now a speech language pathologist. (laughs) Anybody? 
That's everyone. And before <laughs> us, you had a, a small bout of home health therapists. Yes. <laughs> um, what is that experience like? We are always very mindful when we have a baby with multiple medical needs. You know, in the beginning, the parents are like, I need you all. And I need you here every week because they're <laughs> so used to the medical model of more, more, more. And mm-hmm. we are so kind of respectful of, we want to help you. We want to coach you, but we want you to be a family too, because you mm-hmm. haven't been able to do that yet. Yeah. And that balance of like all the therapies and also just normal time with your baby is so important. So I'm just curious, and you can be honest if there's bad parts, I want to know about it, but, um, what, what parts of that were helpful in the very beginning and what parts of that could be better? What part of that transition to like a whole new team at home was bumpy for you? Um, I think just trying to figure out a schedule that works for her, not for me, because it's not about me. It's about her. She's definitely the boss. Um, So I think in the beginning, just figuring out because she was in the hospital so long, she was very much in a regimented routine. um, And that changed when she came home, she's in a new environment. So just figuring out um, what time of day she, she might want or might be better for her to, you know, do certain therapies or certain things. I think that was the most difficult Um, but we definitely figured it out and made it work and played around with some different times. And, um, so now we're, we're in a really good routine. And, um, so I think with the services that we're receiving, I have seen Vivian make tremendous progress. (laughs) I mean, I can't even believe I mean, every day she's doing something new or figuring something out else out that she's doing through her therapies. And it's just, it's just fascinating to watch. And the fact that she was so limited in her mobility for so long, like she really didn't have like a real tummy time until she was eight months old. <laughs> so I mean, that's, and just to see where she is now. Yeah. It's she's a miracle. She is a miracle. Yes. And, um, just with like her feeding and eating, um, I did have some issues with the way that was approached at both Johns Hopkins and the other hospital. Um, but, um, she is taking all of her bottle feeds and we're working on getting her to eat and want to eat regular foods and just getting her interested like her mindset is like I've always been on the schedule how am I so I don't know what to do teach me so and she's getting there with that so um so yes I think everything has all the pieces have fit together very nicely for her to really progress and to continue to progress and grow so very happy Tell us a little bit about her now. What does she love and what is she learning? What is she doing? <laughs> she, she does the most. <laughs> um, she absolutely <laughs> loves, like she just loves, loves music. So anything like with music, singing, dancing, it's like her thing. She can't even listen to certain commercials without just like busting a move on the dance floor. So <laughs> it's, um, 
So music is definitely her thing. She is working on walking um, at this time. So we're getting there. (laughs) Um, She's working on feeding, but also just normal toddler things. Like we're working on shapes and colors and ABCs. And she's very interested in that and kind of just putting things together to learn how to communicate more effectively. Um, but she definitely knows how to get her point across. So <laughs> she does. Um, very animated. She, she's got a personality, that's for sure. And she's had it since day one. So it, it, it shows, it definitely shows her fighting spirit. So yeah, I think, I think you would be okay with me sharing this. Um, and I think it's important for other therapists who are listening to know that, um, you know, I fully believe as a therapist in a coaching model and having parents be hands-on and there's no more, um, illustrative case of that than Patrice and Vivian, because a child who's been hospitalized for nine months is nervous and defensive of being touched, being manipulated, you know, trusting um, and gaining trust and building rapport can take longer sometimes. Um, We found, and uh, I always say she's like a mini green beret. She's kind of like looking around, like who's in the room? Where's the danger? Where's the exit? How do I keep me and my people safe? You know, she's always kind of on guard for safety, which is understood, but, we have made the most progress with me actually in the corner of the room <laughs> and Patrice doing her handling with my coaching because that's, she is her person, you know, her mom by her isolate all those days, you know, letting her know she was there and she was protected, worked. Um, and she's starting to come out of her shell a little bit and um, trust people more now. But I just think it's important for therapists to know that who are listening, you know, we're taught and it's important for therapists to be hands-on at certain points, but it's also not failing on our part to recognize what a child needs and what a family needs. And some of those families with extended and traumatic hospital stays might need a more hands-off approach at first. I, I mean, I can say for our little team, wouldn't you agree that was yes more accomplished that way, right? Yes, that, that worked very well for her. Yeah. And she's warming up now. Yes. So what, what do you think you've learned from this crazy, hard, beautiful <laughs> journey about being a parent? Um, Definitely patience um, that you can't control everything. <laughs> and that's very hard for me, <laughs> yeah. just in my nature to control and have contingencies and how can we prevent things. But um, I think just with any parent, like you want that, but it's just not possible. They are little humans and they will do what they want when they want. And so she's definitely taught me a lot about patience and just relinquishing the control and just letting her be who she is and just be there to support it the best way possible. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, this is a really important question. What do you do? Cause I know you do specific things. So I'd like <laughs> you to share with the people. What do you do to mindfully care for yourself so that you're strong to keep providing 
um, and being there for her. Because I think that this is an area that most parents who are dealing with a medical fragile or complex child, it, it's probably an underserved self-care area. What, why have you found that's important and, and what do you do to take care of you? Um, well, I will say I don't do enough, but, <laughs> but for me, um, something that has been extremely helpful is therapy. I, I really needed to take time to finally process Mm-hmm. everything that had occurred throughout that nine and a half month and, you know, prior to, mm-hmm. um, period. And I think when you're, when you're in the trenches, you're just like struggling just to survive and make it day to day. And then when you come home and you're not, it's not just the constant chaos and you're just like stuck in your thoughts. So I turned to therapy as a tool to help me kind of process and really transition from being a parent with a child in the hospital to just being a parent. (laughs) Um, And and it's helped tremendously. Do you do in-person therapy or virtual? I do a combination of the two, just depending on the week. So So I I like to mention that because some people don't even know that virtual therapy is an option and having a baby at home with a bunch of appointments, in-person therapy might not be an option all the time. I think for me, it just depends on what subject we're touching on. Some I feel like I can have virtually, but others I'm like, I I need, I need to see, I need to see you. So for you for recognizing and being aware. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, therapy has definitely been a tool that has helped me start to really move forward and just process everything. Good. Okay. Last question. And we always ask this one and it can be serious or it can be like completely silly. Like what Netflix show you think people should watch, but, um, the microphone is yours. What do you think our listeners should know? Um, so just that, that no matter how bad things may seem, keep your faith because it will help you pull through um, just appreciate life and never take it for granted because it can change in an instant. And I think through this process, I felt so much grief for the things that we've lost and the experience that we had to go through, but I have so much gratitude for what we still have and just how well she's doing and moving forward. So be grateful keep your faith. There are brighter days. That's a good message. It really is. You know, I think, and we've talked about this, um, getting your story in front of medical providers, whatever part of their career they're in, especially young baby doctors and young baby therapists, we remember people's stories and they change us. And I think for other parents who have been through this story, been through a similar story or are going through these struggles, your story will be healing for them and, and changing. So I'm just, I'm going to try really hard not to cry, but I'm very (laughs) grateful to you for having the bravery to share it um, with me and with our listeners, because I think it really matters. Um, our stories matter and your story and Vivian's story especially matters. So thank you. 
Thank you. And thank you for giving me the platform to share the story. And I hope that it does, you know, help someone who's going through, through the journey. Great. So <laughs> listeners, um, feel free to share this with anyone that you think it will be helpful or healing with. Um, as always, we are so grateful for your support. We are, um, tiny baby podcast ourselves. So if you haven't, um, liked us, followed us or reviewed us on your listening platform, we always appreciate that. If you are a new parent or a NICU parent, and we are new to you, um, know that you can find us at milestonesandmiracles.com. The podcast is linked there, and there are a ton of therapy and child development and parent- parenting topics that may be of interest for you, um, free as always. We also have uh, an extensive blog from back in the day when blogging was more popular, but there are some resources there for you to share or for you to check out. Um, we do have a, a product that we publish called one, two, three, just play with me, which identifies milestones in the first three years and links them with purposeful play or intervention suggestions. And you can find that on the website or on Amazon. Um, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you tuning in and remember to take time to play today. See you next time. Mm-hmm.